Friends gathered at Amazing Love, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. We pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would accomplish the purpose for which you send your word today. Please work in our hearts and our lives so that we can conform to the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful example he is. But more than an example, he is our Savior who has redeemed us from the guilt and shame of every sin. It's in his name we listen to you and worship you. Amen. So happy Labor Day weekend, and good to see you once again. And how many of you would say, you know what, I work really, 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 really hard? Would anyone say that? In fact, I have this notion that some of you are sitting there right now, and in your heart of hearts, you're actually thinking that you might just work harder than someone else. Now, don't turn to that person right now. Don't poke them. In fact, don't turn to your neighbor and tell them, I work harder than you. That's not going to go well, right? But maybe you have this sense that out of all the people who've ever lived, that that you are setting a standard as far as what it is to work really, really, really hard, happy Labor Day. And we have some statistics that prove, you know, in general, Americans are working harder than most. So let's feel good about ourselves for a little bit. I was doing some research based on the International Labor Organization, and and they, they had this to say, that Americans work 137 more hours per year than Japanese workers, 260 more hours per year than British workers, and 499 more hours per year than those lazy French people, right? Yes, they eat slower and less, but that's because they're not working. Sorry, that's a bad joke. If you're French, you're welcome here. Um, Sorry. But no, I mean, we work really, really hard, right? In fact, uh, that has changed from a generation ago, how many more people are in the workplace, Now, 70% of of households with children have both mom and dad working. That's just true. When you look at how many hours we work, 85% of men and 67% of women work more than 40 hours per week. In contrast to other countries, in 134 other countries, they mandate how many hours you can work. So, So you have to stop after you get to a certain limit. But we live in a free country, so you are free to work. 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 hours. You're welcome to do that. Compared to other industrialized nations, others will mandate an annual leave. They will say, you have to leave at this point. You have to take your vacation. But once again, we are free to have a ton of paid vacation that we just never use. So again, happy Labor Day. We work really, really hard. We can pat ourselves on the back. Very good. But I think a more significant question as we've gathered on Labor Day is this, is out of the 40, 50, or 60 hours you're working, are you having fun? Is there joy in the labor that you do? And I think that's something we need to wrestle to the ground. You know, in preparation for this series, I was listening to another pastor, Pastor Craig Rochelle, and uh, he, he... got the framework of this series, Selfless Going, and, and I was listening to him talk about a when-then philosophy to life, a when-then philosophy. Let me explain. It was this idea that when I get there, then I can be truly happy. Have you ever lived that way? I know I have. Here's what happened when, when I was uh, pursuing the pastorate. I would be in college four years long, and, and I would say to myself, when I'm in seminary, then, then I'll have joy in pursuing the pastorate. Guess what happened at seminary? At seminary, I said, when I'm out there and I'm serving a church, then, then I'll have joy in labor. Guess what happened when I got to church? I said, when we have more than five people or families meeting in a basement, then, then we'll be be happy and enjoying our labor. 
for a while the only staff member. When, when I get another staff member, then, then, then there'll be true joy in labor. You ever done this? I mean, maybe there are some who remember when they were single and they said, when I get married, then, then I'll have true joy. Maybe you're married and you say, well, when I have children and I trade in my fun car for the minivan and I wake up at night at all hours of the night to monitor this infant, then, then I'll have true joy. Sorry, those with infants. Or maybe you've done this with work. You've said, if I was only in the proper position on the org chart, then, then. If I was only in a, in a different job completely, then, then. When, when it's suiting my schedule and my passions, then I can finally have this golden thing called joy in labor and joy in what I do. But you know why I'm excited to start this series? It's because the when-then philosophy and, and much of how we go about work, we're believing cultural lies. And that when then is one of those cultural lies. Because what I want to lead with is is this thought, and and we'll get into it, that joy in labor is not found in proper placement in the org chart or in a different company, but rather in proper purpose. See, if you find the right purpose, that can be a fuel for you like nothing else. The proper purpose can inspire you to put in the hard, long hours, to give it all and then some, to to go further than than, than any boss could ever push you or any uh, carrot of commission could ever drive you. The purpose could, could really change the workplace and give joy in our labor. And I love the Word of God because it directs us on purpose. So can we get into there? We're, we're going to turn to the Word of God now. And, um, and here we have a Christian named Paul writing to other Christians in Corinth. And the conversation he's having with them is that of freedom. He, he's basically saying you're free to do many different things. And, and that's true. You're free to work many different jobs, live in many different places, drive different cars. Um, I consider a Labor Day weekend. It'd be interesting to see what we all do as far as our free time and how different that might be. And by the way, you're free to do that. We, we worship a God of freedom. But he says, though you're free to do all these different things, whether your choice is video games or naps, and I prefer naps, um, you should have a common purpose. That, That if Jesus is really your Lord and Savior, you should all be doing it for that same common purpose that will fuel your passion and and drive you further than any boss could could ever do. You ready to see the purpose? First Corinthians 10. You can follow along on the screen or in your worship folder there. It says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all, can you say this with me? For the glory of God. There it is. Whatever. And I don't know what you know about the word whatever, but it means whatever. Whatever you do, whatever job you find yourself in, whatever station of life you find yourself in, uh, wherever you find yourself living, whatever you find yourself driving, whatever. But there's this common purpose which is you are to give God glory. Now, if you're a Christian, we actually know this is our personal mission statement. Do you know that? Your personal mission statement was assigned to you by your Messiah. You're to live for the glory of God. That's what we're to do, whether at school or at work or at home. We want to talk a little bit about how that can happen today. How when we live for the glory of God, maybe we can find true joy in all that we do. Ready? Here we go. So I recognize that when I am driving, I am always in the right. Have you recognized that? 
I am always driving the correct way, the right way, and everyone else is wrong. In fact, I'm not the only one who picked up on this, but there's a comedian, George Carlin, who picked up on this, and uh, he had this to say. He, he said, when driving, everyone who goes faster than you is a maniac, and everyone who drives slower than you is an idiot. Some of you relate to this, right? Especially in Chicago. Come on. And what I recognize is that when I am driving, I don't care about someone else's car, destination, their plans, their path. I just care about my own. I care about where I need to get and when I need to get there. And everyone else and everything else is an obstacle in my way. I am pursuing me when I get that behind that wheel. So I set the standard of what is right and what is wrong. And I'm right. What I recognize about this is this... This, this experience when we're driving, and maybe you can relate to it on some level, it tells us how we are naturally made. And you need to know that you are hardwired, and this is a pretty firm hardwiring, you are hardwired to pursue you. We are all hardwired to pursue with reckless abandon, me, 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 glorious me. I am the brightest crayon in the box. That's how we all are by nature. And we see this happening all the time, don't we? We can recognize when someone is in reckless abandon of pursuing themselves. In fact, I was studying a little bit about the generations, and I don't know if you've ever done any generation study. It can be very interesting looking at differences between baby boomers and Gen X and millennials and the new one called iGen. Um, so I was reading about my uh, children. They're called the iGen, and and they, they had this statement about millennials, and, and look what it says. Millennials quickly gained a reputation for overconfidence and unrealistically high expectations, one justified by their more positive self-views, higher narcissism, and heightened aspirations compared to previous generations. So maybe with a generation of millennials, we are hearing me, 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 even more than ever before. It's all about me. And, and I'm a bit of a pragmatist. So, so part of me says, well, if, if this idea of pursuing me was working, well, then maybe we shouldn't fight against it. But is it working? Is pursuing ourselves with reckless abandon really satisfying and helping this world and making it a better place and giving us true joy and labor? Is, is that really, really working? You know, if you're following along, I would say that this, living for the purpose of pursuing me is, is much too shallow. Because at the end of the day, there's only so many ways that I can do me. There's only so many gifts I can give myself. Only so many ways I can treat myself. Only so many ways I can help myself and give attention to myself. And at one point or another, it just feels kind of empty. We think it, there has to be more to life than this. And that's why I love Jesus. Jesus. Because he says, yes, you're right, there is more to life, and there is a better, and there's a different way. He said in our first lesson, remember these words? Whoever wants to be my disciple must, say this with me, must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, if you're pursuing me, 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 you will lose it. If not now, then for eternity. But I think even now you recognize if it's me, 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 there is some loss, there is some emptiness, there is some vanity that, that just isn't satisfying about it. And so what he says is, lose your life. Pursue the glory of God and the good of others. Lose your life and then you will find it. 
then you will truly know what this joy and labor is, is all about. Yes, there is a much better way to live, authored by Jesus Christ. And, and, and maybe you've even had the experience of serving someone else. Can we talk about a little bit how good it is to serve others? You know, one of the fun things this church does is um, the last few years we've had a free garage sale. Anyone here part of the free garage sale? Yeah, yeah, there, there we are. And, and, and we pretty much make this whole place a one-day goodwill. So everyone brings their stuff that they could have sold other places around Craigslist. They bring their stuff here, and we just give it away. And my favorite moment in this whole thing is when people are walking up, and we hand them a bag, and we tell them it's free. And you should see their faces, especially kids as they're looking at the toys and thinking, how much can I grab, right? Their faces light up, and they're free, and we're like, yes, free. And it's phenomenal to help them, to give them what they need. In fact, all our proceeds go to the Frankfurt Food Pantry, and then they sent us a letter of how much that meant, and we raised over $1,000, and, and we can match that money at Meyer. and it's just so beautiful to help other people. In fact, it is the, that that experience that fuels all the hard work where we change this place into a one-day goodwill. It fuels it because we know we're going to have the opportunity to help someone. If you've ever had this experience at any level, then, then you found this principle as well if you're taking notes. That living for the purpose of helping others is a sustainable and is even a satisfying way to live. Do you, do you know why this, that, that's why this church exists? When, when it comes to our mission statement, our mission statement is not to help ourselves and hoard the love of Christ. Our mission statement is to reach the lost with the love of Christ. And that's going to take intentionality to not serve me, but to serve and help you. I could tell you stories of volunteerism, not just on a free garage sale, but, but all over the place as we serve other people and how good this is. How good this is. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said this about what it is to serve other people. He said, the purpose of life is not to be happy, it's to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. That is our opportunity to be used in service for someone else. And friends gather. Isn't that what our Savior our leader, Jesus Christ, did. Isn't that why we worship him? Isn't that why he's worthy of all praise and allegiance? Because the one who is entitled to pursue me, 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 glorious me, is the same one who emptied himself to prove that you would be loved and you would be served and you would be saved. The king of kings who comes down as a humble babe and says, I will serve you to that point and even to death. And what's really, really crazy about how hard Jesus worked, and we can make a case that Jesus worked harder than anyone else here, harder than any American worker ever has. He emptied himself daily to live in active obedience and then gave his life on the cross. He was the hardest worker, and yet he had joy. That's what I hear from Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had joy on the cross? That's crazy. And what we recognize is that joy was not in the proper placement. Because right now he was being treated as a criminal. 
as the worst of the worst. Right now, he was being treated as the curse for all sin. But why did he have joy? Because his purpose was never more clear than on that cross. He knew he was here to save the world and set sinners free. He knew that true life and true labor was to live for the glory of God and the good of everyone else. And so he had joy even in the midst of the worst way to die. Praise be to God. No one does it better than Jesus. But then I look at my life. And maybe you and I, we need to walk together in the next few weeks to to talk about selflessness because we realize how many times we are just selfish. I'd admit to you, I don't get it all right. I can still conform more to the likeness of Christ and how I serve others, not just myself. Would you admit the same? I need to tell you there are new mercies every morning. I need to remind you you're forgiven and set free. And as you see the beauty of Jesus Christ and you hear his word, I believe the Spirit can empower you to continue to change, to continue to do it differently, fueled by his grace. So let's continue the conversation. We talked about how to have joy and labor. It's built on purpose. But now let's talk a little bit about the standard that we set in what we do. Let's talk about standards a little bit. I was at a conference where a speaker was working in the hotel industry, and they recognized that when Holiday Inn provided these, free shampoo, it changed the standard of hotels immediately. In fact, everyone else who didn't provide free shampoo was behind the times. That was the new standard, and everyone thought that free shampoo was a good idea. I consider when it comes to industry how the standard is always moving, shifting, and going higher and higher and higher. Have you been to a hotel lately? Do you just have one shampoo? No. You have three bars of soap, one for your feet, I think. You have two shampoos, one's a body wash. You have conditioner. You can find mouthwash. You can find a hairnet. You can find a thread and needle. You can find a grooming kit. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because the standard always just keeps doing this, doesn't it? And it's a little bit exhausting. I I went into McDonald's the other way. I've had a 36-year-old relationship with McDonald's. It's a great place. And and they continue to try to keep up with the standard. In fact, I was surprised the other day. I ordered my meal, and they brought it out to me. I'm like, where am I? McDonald's? Wow, right? Because the standard is being set. And maybe some of you, you're working for companies, and you're seeing what the competitor is doing, and now your standard has to change because they're doing that. I consider even what it is to throw a wedding. Remember when wedding was just like eating together? How many different things you have to do to pull off a phenomenal Pinterest wedding is ridiculous. The standard continues to be set, doesn't it? Driving higher and higher and higher. And the reason I bring this up is because when it comes to this idea of standards, I have a firm conviction that Christians should not be reacting to a standard or following a standard. I have a firm conviction that we should actually be setting the standard of how to work well. Do you know I have this conviction? Because of our next passages. Paul writes now to Christians in Colossae about how to live for the Lord. And, and, And here are some things that he says. I invite you to follow along either on the screen or in your worship folder. It says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love this as our purpose. We give thanks to God. We're not saving ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. 
Everything left in the Christian life is just thanksgiving for God who set us free. So we give thanks, and, and now look what it says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Really, the Greek word was all your breath, all your life, whatever's in you. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord you are serving. I've come to tell you today that your boss is not your boss. Jesus is your boss. And because of this, I believe there is a new standard. I believe Christians should set the new standard for work because our boss is Jesus. See, I don't think a a company should have to tell a Christian to work hard. I don't think a Christian has to sit in an hour-long dialogue about business ethics because they're writing the book every day that they live and operate. I believe that it is Jesus we will finally answer to and report to. Jesus who sees all that we do anyway. Jesus who empowered us to work in the first place and has given us many opportunities to do just that. And because of that, I believe that Christians set the standard. You know, I consider this as I heard from one of my buddies. I have a a pastor friend in Colorado Springs. He's a church planter. And uh, they're in a school like we used to be. We used to worship in Hickory Creek Middle School. Uh, their, their family actually goes to that school. Their kids are in the school. And the other day, an administrator had a, a curious phrase uh, for how they were operating. Um, the administrator saw his wife working so hard, volunteering, cleaning up the classroom, and said, why are you so good to us? And I thought that was a pretty neat phrase. Why are you so good to us? The administrator had been seeing how much she volunteers, how much she cleans up, puts in the extra effort. She may have been comparing it to the standard of other people, other parents who are not doing the same. And so she prompted and she said, why are you so good to us? I love that phrase. Because I believe it's what every customer and client should say of a Christian company. They should have this experience and they should be astounded like, why are you so good to us? It's what every boss and employer should be thinking of a Christian employee. By how you work, that they're just curious. Why are you so good to us? Why do you work so hard? And what the world may not know is what we will know deep down in our hearts and our souls, what we've driven here today. Why? Because we don't work for you. We never have. See, every day I live, I work for Jesus who I will answer to. And Jesus, you know how hard he worked for me? To the point of death. Because I have a different inspiration than who you are. It's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I also think we should set the standard of a balanced lifestyle. A balanced lifestyle. Do Americans need more of a balanced lifestyle? Would anyone agree? And here's why I think if we recognize our true boss, we're going to lead a more balanced lifestyle. Because yes, we are going to work hard for our boss. Yes, we are going to work hard for our employer. But we will not cave when they want us to obey, when they infringe on our rights. For example, if the boss gives off the impression that it's bad for you to worship God, we're going to worship anyway. If the boss gives off the impression that that you have no right to family time, we're going to spend appropriate family time, and that could be a whole other dialogue. We're going to spend appropriate family time because the boss is not in control. 
As Christians, we're going to go to our job and we're going to recognize the company doesn't provide for my livelihood, though it's good to work for this company. No, I rely on God's provision and so I operate a little bit differently. We're also going to recognize that greed is a problem. Christians are going to understand that more and more and continually more and bigger and better is not always better. It's just more. And that godliness with contentment is great gain. And so we're not going to do to ourselves, fueled by greed, hour upon hour upon hour for more and more and more and wear ourselves thin because we're going to hear the wisest guy who ever lived named Solomon say this. He doesn't just say beeps. He's going to say, thank you, David. Don't wear yourself out to become rich. Be wise enough to restrain yourself. Yes, I think we're called as Christians to set a new standard. Because Jesus is our boss. We're going to work better than anyone by his grace, powered by him. Not for our name, not for our glory. We're going to show the world that needs balance what balance looks like as we pursue some godly priorities. You with me? But as we wrap up today, let's also talk about the true prize of our work. You know, I consider that some companies reward you after years of hard labor. For a while, a gold watch was the standard. I guess it was PepsiCo that uh, initiated the gold watch. They even had a phrase that said, you gave us your time, we're going to give you ours. I consider my father, he worked for a church for 10 years at St. Stephen's Beaver Dam, and uh, they made a commemorative um, thing for him. Um, has a picture of the church on it and the scripture he'd always use to start a sermon. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He always started every sermon with that phrase. And I consider all the, 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 the prizes that, that could be awarded. I drive around and see pink Cadillacs and I wonder how much makeup does it cost to get a pink Cadillac? Right? Maybe you're a salesperson and You've gone on a trip because you had a really, really great year and they were trying to reward you. Remember working construction at the end of the summer, they took me out for a nice seafood dinner because I was a good college worker. But are those the true prizes? A gold watch someday? A meal out? A vacation? I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, the last scripture I'd like to share with you, I think, gives us an identification on a greater prize for the Christian worker. From Ecclesiastes, it says, This is what I observe to be good, that it's appropriate for a person to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor. Finding satisfaction, not in the someday when you retire, not in the gold watch because now you're done, not in the trip that you get because you had a good year of sales, but in the process of working. See, what I'd permit to you is that there is greater satisfaction, not by what we acquire for ourselves, but what we accomplish for other people. So if you're taking notes, again, the prize of work is not what we acquire for ourselves, but what we accomplish for other people. And isn't this why people remember us anyway? Did any of you watch the news of John McCain? Maybe you tuned in yesterday and saw the ceremony and some of the eulogies. I had a chance to listen to the daughter give a eulogy about John McCain. 
Here we had Megan McCain. I was struck by many things that she said. She had great words, very grand language, very passionate presentation. But I think one of the greatest things that struck me is that as she remembered her dad, she didn't remember him as politician and war hero, but as father. She said the best of John McCain was in that role as father. And she remembers as a child when when this warrior would lift her into bed at night. She remembers when he would pull her out of school to go on the town meeting conversations, thinking that she could learn more there. Uh, She remembers when she fell off her horse, broke her collarbone, how he was the first one to say, get back on that horse, teaching her a lesson in toughness. What I recognize is that he's remembered not by what he did for himself, but what he did for her. Isn't that our opportunity as we live and move and breathe? See, this life isn't really for us. And much more than anything you ever accomplish for yourself, require for yourself, is what you will accomplish to the glory of God as you serve someone else. So happy Labor Day. May God allow you to recharge to get some good rest, because that is good too. It's part of a balanced lifestyle. But then to look at work a little differently. To say tomorrow or the next day, I have the opportunity to wake up and live for Jesus as I help other people. May God so bless you. Amen.